Lesson 5 for January 25-31, to 31, From Pride to Humility, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, January 25. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus became so humble that he left the throne of glory and came to this earth to be born as a baby and to grow up as a boy and a man and eventually to give his life for ours. We thank you that he was willing to do that. We pray that as we study this lesson this week and as we look at what happened in the life of Daniel, that humility may be something that is part of our lives as well. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Daniel chapter 4 and verse 3. How great are his signs, and how mighty his wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Let's read that again. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 3. How great are his signs, and how mighty his wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Pride has been called the first sin. It is first made manifest in Lucifer, an angel in the courts of heaven. Thus, God says through Ezekiel in chapter 28, verse 17, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Pride leads to Lucifer's fall. So... He now installs a pride in men, thus leading them to be against God, and so to go down a path toward destruction. We are all fallen human beings, dependent upon God for our very existence. Any gifts we have, any things that we accomplish with these gifts, come only from God. Hence, how do we dare to be proud, boastful or arrogant, when in reality humility should dominate all that we do? It takes a long time for Nebuchadnezzar to understand the importance of humility. Even the appearance of the fourth man in the fiery furnace, see last week, does not change the course of his life. Only after God takes away his kingdom and sends him to live with the beasts of the field does the king recognise his true status. Sunday, January 26. Is not this Babylon the great? Question. Read Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 to 33. What happens to the king and why? Daniel 4, beginning at verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs, and how mighty his wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from the generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. 
I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions in my head while on my bed. I was looking... And behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, the birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze. In the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven." and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man, let him be given the heart of a beast, and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers, and the sentence by the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it, the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream of it or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. For your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth." And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field, till seven times pass over him. 
This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you to eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. And, inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you, after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the twelve months he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling for my, by my mighty power and for the honour of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. God gives Nebuchadnezzar a second dream. This time the king does not forget the dream. But because the Babylonian experts fail again, the king summons Daniel to provide the interpretation of the dream. In the dream, the king sees a big tree reaching up to heaven and a heavenly being commanding that the tree be chopped down. Only the stump and roots would be left in the earth and would be wet with the dew of heaven. But what must have troubled Nebuchadnezzar was the part of the dream in which the heavenly being said, Let his heart be changed from that of a man, let him be given the heart of a beast, and let seven times pass over him. That's Daniel chapter 4 verse 16. Recognising the seriousness of the dream, Daniel politely expresses the wish that the dream would refer to the enemies of the king. However, faithful to the message, Conveyed by the dream, Daniel says that in fact the dream refers to the king himself. Trees are commonly used in the Bible as symbols of kings, nations and empires. So the big tree is a fitting representation of an arrogant king. Ezekiel chapter 17 uh, is very interesting. Let's begin at verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, pose a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel, and say, Thus says the Lord God, A great eagle with large wings and long pinions full of feathers of various colours came to Lebanon, and took from the cedar the highest branch. He cropped off its topmost young twig and carried it to a land of trade. He set it in a city of merchants. Then he took some of the seed of the land and planted it in a fertile field. He placed it by abundant waters and set it like a willow tree. 
and it grew and became a spreading vine of low stature. Its branches turned toward him, but its roots were under it. So it became a vine, brought forth branches, and put forth shoots. But there was another great eagle with large wings and many feathers, and behold, this vine bent its roots toward him, and stretched its branches toward him, from the garden terrace where it had been planted, that he might water it. It was planted in good soil by many waters, and bring forth to bring forth branches, bear fruit, and become a majestic vine. Say, Thus says the Lord God, Will it thrive? Will he not pull up its roots, cut off its fruit, and leave it to wither? All of its spring leaves will wither, and no great power or many people will be needed to pluck it up by its roots. Behold, it is planted. Will it survive? Will it not utterly wither when the east wind touches it? It will wither in the garden terrace where it grew. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Say now to the rebellious house, Do you not know what these things mean? Tell them. Indeed, the king of Babylon went to Jerusalem and took its king and princes and led them with him to Babylon. And he took the king's offspring, made a covenant with him, and put him under oath. He also took away the mighty of the land, that the kingdom might be brought low and not lift itself up, but that by keeping his covenant it might stand. But he rebelled against him by sending his ambassadors to Egypt, that they might give him horses and many people. Will he prosper? Will he who does such things escape? Can he break a covenant and still be delivered? As I live, says the Lord God, surely in the place where the king dwells, who made him king, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke, with him in the midst of Babylon he shall die. Nor will Pharaoh with his mighty army and great company do anything in the war when they heap up a siege mound and build a wall to cut off many persons. Since he despised the oath by breaking the covenant, and in fact gave his hand and still did all those things, he shall not escape. Therefore thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely my oath which he despised and my covenant which he broke I will recompense on his own head. I will spread my net over him, and he shall be taken in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon and try him there for the treason which he committed against me. All his fugitives with all his troops shall fall by the sword, and those who remain shall be scattered to every wind. And you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken. Thus says the Lord God, I will take also one of the highest branches of the high cedar and set it out. I will crop off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one and plant it on a high and prominent mountain. On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it. And it will bring forth boughs, and bear fruit, and be a majestic cedar. Under it will dwell birds of every sort. In the shadow of its branches they will dwell. And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree, and exalted the low tree, dried up the green tree, and made the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, and have done it. And then in Ezekiel uh, chapter... 31. Um, and we'll just read some of the verses here. Uh, we start at verse 1. Now it came to pass in the eleventh year, in the third month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, 
Whom are you like in your greatness? Indeed, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon, with fine branches that shaded the forest and of high stature, and its top was among the thick boughs. The waters made it grow, underground waters gave it height, with their rivers running around the place where it was planted, and sent out rivulets to all the trees of the field. Therefore its height was exalted above all the trees of the field, its boughs were multiplied, and its branches became long because of the abundance of water, as it sent them out. All the birds of the heavens made their nests in its boughs. Under its branches all the beasts of the field brought forth their young, and in its shadow all great nations made their home. And that finishes at verse 6. And then Hosea, chapter 14. O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity, receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Assyria shall not save us, we will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of your hands. You are our gods, for in you the fatherless find mercy." I will heal their backsliding, I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. I will be like the Jew to Israel, he shall grow like the lily, and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread, his beauty shall be like an olive tree, and his fragrance like Lebanon. Those who dwell under his shadow shall return, they shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine." Their scent shall be like the wine of Babylon, finishing at verse 7. And Zechariah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, because the mighty trees are ruined. Wail, O aches of Bashan, for the thick forest has come down. And Luke 23, verse 31, For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? God gives Nebuchadnezzar dominion and power. Nevertheless, he persistently fails to recognize that everything he possesses comes from God. Question, focus on Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. What does the king say that shows he still does not grasp the warning that the Lord has given him? Daniel 4, verse 30. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honour of my majesty? Perhaps what's so dangerous about pride is that it can lead us to forget just how dependent we are upon God for everything. And once we forget that, we are on dangerous spiritual ground. So to finish the day, what things have you accomplished in your life? Can you take pride in them without being proud? If so, how so? Monday, January 27, Warned by the Prophet Question. Read Daniel chapter 4, verse 27. Besides the warning about what will happen, what does Daniel tell the king to do, and why? 
And we'll also look at Proverbs 14, verse 31. But first, Daniel 4:27. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. And Proverbs 14, verse 31. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honours him has mercy on the needy. Daniel not only interprets the dream, but also points Nebuchadnezzar to a way out of his situation. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Nebuchadnezzar performs a massive work of building in Babylon. The gardens, a system of canals and hundreds of temples and other building projects turn the city into one of the wonders of the ancient world. But such splendour and beauty, at least in part, is accomplished through exploitation of slave manpower and neglect of the poor. Furthermore, the wealth of the empire is used to gratify the pleasures of the king and his entourage. Thus the pride of Nebuchadnezzar not only prevents him from acknowledging God, but as a consequence also makes him oblivious to the hardships of those in need. Given the special care that God shows for the poor, it is not surprising that from the other possible sins that Daniel could have highlighted before the king, he singles out the sin of neglecting the poor. The message to Nebuchadnezzar is by no means something new. The Old Testament prophets often warn God's people against oppressing the poor. Indeed, prominent among the sins that bring about the king's exile is neglect of the needy. After all, compassion for the poor is the highest expression of Christian charity. Conversely, exploitation and neglect of the poor constitutes an attack on God himself. In caring for the needy, we recognise that God owns everything, which means that we are not owners but merely stewards of God's property. By serving others with our possessions, we honour God and recognise His Lordship. It is God's ownership that should ultimately determine the value and function of material possessions. This is where Nebuchadnezzar fails, and we risk failing too, unless we recognise God's sovereignty over our accomplishments and manifest our recognition of this reality by helping those in need. Tuesday, January 28, The Most High Rules Despite his being told to repent and seek God's forgiveness, Nebuchadnezzar's unrelenting pride causes the heavenly decree to be executed, as we read in Daniel 4, verses 28 to 33. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the twelve months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honour of my majesty? 
While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, and ate grass like oxen, his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. While the king is walking in his palace and praising himself for what he had accomplished, he is afflicted with a mental condition that forces his expulsion from the royal palace. He may have experienced a pathological mental condition called clinical lycanthropy or zoanthropy. Such a condition leads the patient to act like an animal. In modern times, this disease has been called species dysphoria, the feeling that one's body is of the wrong species, and hence the desire to be an animal. Question. Read Second Kings 20, verses 2-5, to Jonah 3.10 and Jeremiah 18.7-10. What do these texts tell us about the king's chance to have averted the punishment? Second Kings 20, beginning at verse 2. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray thee, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened, before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return, and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord." Jonah 3, verse 10, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And Jeremiah 18, verse 7, The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil... I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. Unfortunately, Nebuchadnezzar has to learn the hard way. When invested with royal power, Nebuchadnezzar has no ability to reflect on his relationship with God. Thus, by depriving the king of royal authority and sending him to live with the beasts of the field, God gives the king an opportunity to acknowledge his total dependence on him. In fact, the ultimate lesson God wants to teach to the arrogant king is that heaven rules in Daniel 4 verse 26. Indeed, the judgment upon the king has an even larger purpose in God's design, as so clearly expressed in the decree of the heavenly beings in verse 17, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. In other words, the discipline applied to Nebuchadnezzar should be a lesson for all of us as well. 
because we belong to the group of the living, we should pay better attention to the main lesson we are supposed to learn, that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. So to finish the day, why is knowing that the Most High rules so important a lesson for us to learn? What should this knowledge, for instance, impact how we treat those over whom we have power? Wednesday, January 29. Lifting Eyes Toward Heaven. Question. Read Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 to 37. How and why do things change for the king? Daniel 4, beginning at verse 34. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised the and honoured him who lives for ever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honour and splendour returned to me. My counsellors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the King of Heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride... He is able to put down. God allows Nebuchadnezzar to be stricken by a strange disease, but eventually he readily restores him to a sound mental state. Interestingly, everything changes when at the end of the seven years predicted by the prophet, the ailing king lifts up his eyes to heaven as we just read in verse 34. In Prophets and Kings, page 520, we read, For seven years Nebuchadnezzar was an astonishment to all his subjects. For seven years he was humbled before all the world. Then his reason was restored, and looking up in humility to the God of heaven, he recognized the divine hand in his chastisement. In a public proclamation he acknowledged his guilt and a great mercy of God in his restoration. End of quote. No question, great changes can happen when we lift our eyes to heaven. As soon as his understanding comes back, the king gives evidence that he has learned his lesson. But this story is not as much about Nebuchadnezzar as it is about the mercy of God. The king has missed three previous opportunities to accept the God of Israel as the Lord of his life. Such occasions are available to him when he recognises the exceptional wisdom of the four young Judean captives in Daniel chapter 1, when Daniel interprets his dream in Daniel chapter 2, and when all three Hebrew men are rescued from the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3. After all, if that rescue doesn't humble him, what will? In spite of the ruler's stubbornness, God gives him a fourth chance— 
finally wins the king's heart and restores him to his royal office in Daniel chapter 4. As the case of Nebuchadnezzar illustrates, God gives one chance after another in order to restore us to a right relationship with him. As Paul writes many centuries later, the Lord desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. We see in this story a powerful example of that truth. So to finish the day, what are ways that you've been humbled by God? What did you learn from the experience? What changes might you need to make in order to avoid having to get taught the lesson again? Thursday, January 30. Humble and Grateful. The repentant king declares in Daniel 4.35, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Given the context, what important point is he making? How do we know that Nebuchadnezzar indeed genuinely accepts the true God? we find a major piece of evidence in the fact that Nebuchadnezzar himself is the author of the letter inserted by Daniel in chapter 4. Indeed, most of this chapter seems to be a transcription of a letter that the king distributes to his vast kingdom. In this letter, the king tells about his pride and insanity and humbly recognizes God's intervention in his life. Ancient monarchs would rarely write anything derogatory about themselves. Virtually all ancient royal documents that we know of glorify the king. A document such as this, therefore, in which the king admits his pride and his beastly behaviour, points to a genuine conversion. In addition, by writing a letter recounting his experience and humbly confessing God's sovereignty, the king is acting as a missionary. He can no longer keep to himself what he has experienced and learned from the true God. What we have seen here, then, in the king's prayer and praise, which we read before in Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 to 37, reveals the reality of his experience. The king now has a different set of values and can recognize the limitations of human power. In a profound prayer of thanksgiving, the king extols the power of Daniel's God and admits that, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing in verse 35. That is to say, humans have nothing of themselves of which to be boastful. Thus, this last glimpse of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel shows a king humble and grateful, singing the praises of God and warning us against pride. Of course, God continues to change lives today. No matter how proud or sinful people may be, in God there is mercy and power to turn rebellious sinners into children of the God of heaven. And so to finish today, read Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. What do we find here that should eradicate pride in our lives? 
Philippians 2, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you... Look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Friday, January 31. From the book Prophets and Kings, page 521, we read, The once proud monarch had become a humble child of God, the tyrannical, overbearing ruler, a wise and compassionate king. He who had defied and blasphemed the God of heaven now acknowledged the power of the Most High and earnestly sought to promote the fear of Jehovah and the happiness of his subjects. Under the rebuke of him who is king of kings and lord of lords, Nebuchadnezzar had learned at last the lesson which all rulers need to learn, that true greatness consists in true goodness. He acknowledged Jehovah as the living God, saying, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the king of heaven. All his works are truth, and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. God's purpose, that the greatest kingdom in the world should show forth his praise, was now fulfilled. This public proclamation, in which Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged the mercy and goodness and authority of God, was the last act of his life recorded in sacred history. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. 1. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, published in 1996, page 110, Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Does this seem to you exaggerated? If so, think it over. The more pride one has, the more one dislikes pride in others. In fact, if you want to find out how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourself, How much do I dislike when other people snub me or refuse to take any notice of me or shove their oar in or patronise me or show off? The point is that each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. 
It is because I wanted to be the big noise at the party that I am so annoyed at someone else being the big noise. Two of a trade never agree. End of quote. What is Lewis saying here that could perhaps help you see pride in your own life? Two, a theme seen in this chapter as well as in some preceding it is the sovereignty of God. Why is this such an important topic to understand? What role does the Sabbath play in helping us understand this crucial truth? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Finding Christ in the Caucasus by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. 17 year old Stepan Avakov volunteered to help interpret when a group of Americans organized a quiet hour health expo in the southern Russian city of Volgodonsk. When the expo ended, organiser Vincent Page invited Avakov to follow the expo to the North Caucasus region. It was summer and Avakov was free. He asked his mother for advice. Why don't you go, she said. You can practice your English. Local pastor Vinamin Tarasuk also gave his blessing but added, Remember, if you want to be baptised, come back and I will baptise you. Avakov was stunned. Are you crazy, he thought. I'm not going to be baptised. But for the next two months, he lived a Seventh-day Adventist life as he visited various towns. The Adventist organisers woke up early, read their Bibles, prayed, and then had morning devotions together. To Avakov, it was a new world. One day, Page invited Avakov to go to Lithuania next. Avakov, however, had left his passport at home. Page gave him a $100 bill. Go home, get your passport, and come back here in one day, he said. The next morning, the teen jumped out of the hotel bed promptly at 5am, earlier than ever before. He didn't know how to find a way out of town. As he left the hotel, he prayed, God, if you exist, lead me to the bus station. Avakov began walking and, to his surprise, found the bus station. A bus was waiting with open doors. Inside, passengers were complaining. Driver, why are we waiting? Let's go. As Avakov sat down, the doors closed and the bus left. Similar miracles occurred throughout the day. When Avakov returned to the hotel with his passport that night, he knelt beside his bed. God, now I know that you exist, he said. You have shown that you love me and are drawing me to you. From this moment, you are my Lord, and I want you to live in me. In the morning, Avakov showed his passport to Page. Here is my passport, he said. But something more important happened. Last night, I became a Christian. Page and the other workers spontaneously clapped with joy. Avakov was baptised by Pastor Tarajuk, three weeks later on September 10, 1993. Six years later, Pastor Tarasuk became Avakov's father-in-law. 
Avakov, now 42, works as a professional interpreter for the United Nations and other agencies. He also is the founder and director of an organisation that helps Russian orphans. His conversion story, he said, can be found in Romans 5 verse 1, which reads, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse interprets my conversion story, said Avakov, whose picture appears here on the left. This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harold for Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, Christian Record Services for the Blind, the Sabbath School Department and Hope Channel. You can also listen on the official Sabbath School 4 app and the Apple iTunes app, Sabbath School with Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.